in the lives of those of us who yet struggle with disappointments, the guilt, the shame, the bitterness, the unforgiveness, the condemnation as a result of scars. Scars that we incurred, whether through failed relationships, betrayal, just disappointments, the, the pain unique to just being in a fallen world, many of us yet struggle. The subject, scars that won't heal. And what we have been chasing is the why. Why are our churches, our ministries filled with people who yet bear the scars from the disappointments of yesterday, the pain of yesterday, the, the, the shame of yesterday? Why are we still in this place wherein we're yet dysfunctional? In life, we'll come to understand this, that disappointments are a given. It doesn't matter. Life is a collection of seasons, and depending upon what season we're in, we, we recognize that as we're aging, the longer we're here, we're going to face disappointments. It's a matter of being in a fallen world, but you and I do not have to be discouraged. Discouragement means the absence of courage, the absence of the courage to confront the absence of the courage necessary to continue, the courage to change, the courage to rise, courage. Discouragement is dis-ease of soul, no ease to the soul. Discouragement really is a decision. It's not unique to what happens in this life. All of us are going to experience disappointment, but all of us do not have to choose discouragement. The biblical character that we have been looking at is Mephibosheth. He's the son of Jonathan. Jonathan and David were friends, and they, they made this covenant. Now, Jonathan is dead. His father, Saul, is dead. David is on the throne, ruling over the nation of Israel, and he wants to extend kindness to Jonathan's house. David finds that Jonathan has a son by the name of Mephibosheth, and so he calls for him because now he wants Mephibosheth to receive his inheritance and to sit at the king's table. Mephibosheth, the name means God strikes down shame. You and I must understand this as we develop in our relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ that shame is just not a part of this relationship. There's no guilt in God. There's no condemnation in God. There's no shame in God. And we must grow to the degree wherein we're willing to receive God's mind concerning us, God's perspective concerning us. God wants to show us off as the crown of all creation. He wants a healthy body of believers, a healthy church, a whole church, the ecclesia, a productive church, a potent church. But how is this possible when we bear so many scars that have yet to be healed? Life is a collection of seasons. God is present whatever season of life we find ourselves in. Whatever we're going through, God is present. And may I say to us today that whether we feel like it or not, you matter to God. And we must believe this. You matter to the elder of this local church. 
You matter to our lead pastor. You matter to the leadership in this local church. And certainly you matter to me. And so as we're going through the teaching today, I'm going to ask that you not be a spectator. I'm going to ask that you not be skeptic. I'm going to ask that you not be one who's cynical and critical. For the time that we have together, and it's a very short window of time, it would be wise that we remove ourselves from the distractions. And understand this about Satan, when he sends forth distractions, they're designed to drag the mind, to interfere with productive thinking, to keep us from being functional in the things of God. He will distract us to detour us, to deceive us, to discourage us. It would be wise that we engage this moment, that we participate, and that we open up our hearts to God's word because God's aim is that we are healed, that we're fruitful, that we are productive. And understand this about God. It's, it's, it's not just that Jesus came to make sure that we experience healing spiritually. Not just that we're saved, that we're born again, that we're members of the family of God. And, and I must submit to us that we have yet many people in the family of God serving throughout the local church who are yet some very scarred people, some very wounded people. God's plan for us is that we're healed in our souls. 3 John 1, verse 2, New King James Version. Beloved, I pray... That you, now recognize that man is a spirit being living in a physical body and man has a soul. And so as God has inspired the written word, the scripture says, Beloved, I pray that you, you spirit, you spiritually, may prosper in all things and be in health in your body. Your physical health is of concern to God as, please pay attention, just as your soul prosper. So while I can be physically healthy and I can be spiritually born again, I can yet be dead in my soul, impaired in my soul. God says he wants us to prosper in the soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, my intellect, my reasoning, my rationale, my desires, my appetite. God wants me healed in my soul. So in life we find, and please pay attention, there are those who refuse to change, you see. Now those of us, we can recognize the dilemma that we're in, the, the, the struggles that we face, and we can choose not to change. Then there are those who see no need to change. You see, if I see that there's absolutely nothing wrong with me, why would I change? We also face those who need help in changing. I recognize, pastor, there's a problem, there's a struggle, I'm scarred, I'm wounded, and I need help. And understand this, not is heaven at your disposal only, but there are people who love enough, care enough, who are at your disposal to help. Then there are those who choose to change. I just flat out, downright, I want to change. Anybody in the room today, you want to change. You want to grow. You want to mature. You want to be transformed. I just want to change. And that's God's plan for us. So as we look at scars that won't heal, let's just consider a few signs of unhealed scars, a twisted and crippled view of self and others. From last week's lesson, we learned that Mephibosheth was in a place called Lodabar. We gave a definition of what Lodabar really means, but Mephibosheth referred to himself as a dead dog. 
had a twisted and a crippled view of himself. And understand this, we see people, people based upon how we see ourselves. Many times it is difficult for us to have healthy whole relationships because we're impaired in our own souls. I don't think very highly of myself. So I don't think very highly of you. I have no respect for myself, so I have no respect for you, you see. I cast down myself, so it's easy for me to cast you down. I don't trust me, so why would I trust you? A few signs of unhealed scars, a, a, a twisted and crippled view of self and others. Then there's clouded judgment, lacking in value. Unable to make sound decisions. My judgment is impaired, so I don't think the way God has instructed me to think. The Bible says, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be also in you. Scripture further says that we can think the thoughts of God continuously. How do we do that? I must look into the mirror of his word. My judgment is clouded, so I don't always make wise decisions. Trust issues. We don't trust anybody. And if we're going to succeed in relationships, we must develop the ability to trust. In local churches, we must be able to trust God. We must be able to trust leadership. We must be able to trust each other. You see, everybody is not out to betray you. Everybody is not out to hurt you. Everybody is not out to take the unfair advantage. There are some good folk in the earth with respect to the fact that they have character and integrity. Trust issues. And this is the flip side of that. If you don't trust others, why should anybody trust you? We're argumentative and we're suspicious in our demeanor. So we're quick to argue the point, to have the last word. Suspicious in our demeanor of everybody. As opposed to seeing people through the lens of Christ. You see, God tells us to see each other through the eyes of an almighty God. God loves people. And it's something that we must learn. If we're going to build healthy relationships, I must love people. It is not that um, I love you, but I don't like you. It doesn't work like that. We didn't pick that up from the kingdom of God. You see, we love people unconditionally, sacrificially, and we all are flawed, and we all have weaknesses, and we're all jacked up in here. So listen, I want others to love me. I must be willing to love others' weaknesses and all. And understand the principle, God loves us, weaknesses, and all. There's no respect to persons, there's no partiality with him. Signs of unhealed scars, depression. Now, when I speak of depression, I'm talking circumstantial depression. I'm not talking clinical uh, depression. Clinical depression requires medical intervention. Circumstantial depression is when circumstances just don't pan out. It's not going the way that I want it to go, and so I'm prone to depression. It's circumstantial, so if circumstances are good, I'm okay. Circumstances go awry, then I've got issues. Rebellion towards authority. People who are deeply wounded, deeply scarred, have issues with submission to authority. Perhaps because it was authority that wounded me. Whether pastoral authority or parental authority, it could even be in law enforcement because somewhere authority mismanaged me, mishandled me, abused me, molested me. Or there was incest. And pastors, pastors rape, bleed, and fleece and, and exploit the people of God for their own selfish ambition. 
authority. And so we're challenged because it was authority that has me in the place that I'm in right now. There's withdrawal and isolation. We've learned this, that isolation is Satan's strategy. It is his wild, his methodia to counsel us, to get us away from accountability, to get us away from those people who will challenge how we think and challenge our choices. Satan wants us in a place of isolation. It's a dangerous place because we don't grow in isolation. We grow in community. We grow in the ecclesia, the body of Christ, when we're able to work along with other believers in the family of God. We do not grow in isolation. Isolation is dangerous. Analysis paralysis. That's where we overthink everything. What you mean by that? Why'd they say that? I wonder what's up with that. We're overthinking everything. Nothing's taken for face value, right? Just overanalyzing. And this, this analytical mind can cause us to enter into a place wherein we have problems in our relationships because we overthink everything that's said. You can't believe that I've accepted you or that I've forgiven you or that I love you or that you matter or that you have value. You overthink everything. A judgmental, cynical, and a critical perspective. Have you ever met these kind of people? I mean, they're critical about everything and everybody. They're judgmental in every situation, every circumstance. Cynical, negative, scarred. Because listen, we were not created that way. Something happened. Phobias. There's a fear of rejection, a fear of failure, a fear of loss, a fear of abandonment, fear of betrayal. Just fear. And God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind because fear brings torment. Fear. Phobias. Scarred. Attitude issues. You seen these kind of folk? It's usually women. <laughs> Very rarely do you see a brother with the attitude. But the women, you see the attitude and the rolling of the eyes, you know, rolling of the neck, right? Your terminology, catching air. You see, attitudes, attitudes about, listen, attitudes about instruction, attitudes about correction. Attitudes, when, when a person offers up just advice to help, attitude. This is not healthy, but we're going to challenge it, right? Scarred, easily angered and offended. These are the folks, they, they wear their feelings on their shoulders. Right? Get ticked off at the least little bit. Now see, we can't build healthy relationships like this, right? So let's question this. Do you want to be free? Because this is what I find as we're looking over the, 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 the situation. Do you want to be free? Do you want to stop? thinking like that? Do you want to stop behaving like that? Do you want to change? Listen, do you want to give that up? Do you want to stop? Do you want to stop speaking like that? Do you want to stop repeating the same old choices that bear the same old consequences? Change is a matter of the will. Everybody say change, change. is a matter, a matter of, the of the will. Let's say it this way. Change, change. is a matter, a matter of my will. So the deal is folk don't change unless they will to. And we have learned this over the years because oftentimes females are of the mind that if I get him, I can change him. I can shape him. Listen, I can make him. And that's a lie. And you're lying to yourself because we are not able to change anybody. 
We find that a man doesn't change unless he wills to change. Not because you're manipulative. Not because I ain't going to give you if you don't. A man changes as a matter of the will, not because of force, aggression. It's the same with all of us. It's a matter of the will. We must be willing to change. And I understand this, that a mistake not learned from, a choice not made, not learned from, an ungodly decision not learned from, a sin not learned from, what's the rest of that? Will be repeated. A choice not learned from, an ungodly choice, a sin not learned from, a mistake not learned from, come on saints, it will be repeated. So it happened, what did I learn from that? And if I didn't learn from it, it will be repeated. So God says to his people, Deuteronomy 2, 2 through 3, And the Lord spoke to me saying, you have skirted, you have walked around, you traveled around this mountain long enough. Turn northward. So God says to us today, you've been dealing with this for too long. You've been going around the same old mountain for too long. You've been talking about it too long, wrestling with it too long, struggling with this for too long. Now it's time to move forward. Now you can stay in it if you want to. The choice belongs to you. The choice belongs to me. So the question today is, do you want to be healed? God specializes in issues of the heart, issues of the mind, issues of the sight, the blood, issues of hearing, issues impacting every area of our lives naturally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. He is Jehovah, the self-existing eternal Lord God. He's all-encompassing God. El Yushate. He's the God of our salvation, the God of our deliverance, the God of our healing. He's God alone. Now, he's well able to bring us out. The question is, do you want to come out? I understand scars are real and pain is real. And that many of us, we've been abandoned, we've been taken advantage of, we've been dropped by someone we trusted, left crippled by our scars, limiting our usefulness. That's the deal, limiting our usefulness to the kingdom of God. But we don't have to remain in a crippled state. Everybody say it, I don't have to remain in a crippled state. Come on, say this, the choice is mine. And it really is. And let's just think about where we are. Before we start blaming other folk, yeah, that did happen, but the choice ultimately is mine. I don't have to remain crippled by whatever I went through. The choice ultimately is mine. So why would we choose to remain in Lodabar? Let's rehearse the definition. It's a place that is unfruitful. It's a place that is barren, mentally and, and spiritually. There we find ourselves incapable of producing godly results. There's no room for growth in this place. No room for recovery. There's no word from the Lord in this place. And we must each examine, where am I right now in my life? Is there a word from God in this place? Can I grow in this place? Can I live? Can I thrive? Can I move forward in this place, in this relationship? Is it possible? Lodabar, it speaks to an unfavorable environment. A place that provides no life and no productivity. I don't have this place of communing with God. It's a place wherein I find myself impoverished in my relationships, impoverished emotionally. I find myself impoverished spiritually. So why would we not accept God's invitation to be free and to eat at the king's table? 
That was David's invitation to Mephibosheth. You can come and eat at the king's table and you can do it forever. Why would we abandon the opportunity to eat at God's table and to be there forever? In other words, why would I have abandoned the opportunity to be in the presence of God? Why do we refuse to accept God's plan for healing, God's plan for our protection, God's plan for our peace? Why would we reject that when God says that he has come that we might have life, the Zoe life, life by the highest order, the life of God? He's come that we might have life and that we might have that life more abundantly. And here's the reality. What we truly believe is evident in our actions, especially during times of storms. What I really believe is exposed when I'm going through a storm, when I'm going through a crisis, when I'm going through a hard place. What I really believe is front and center when I'm going through a challenge. And so my point of emphasis, our behavior is proportional to what we accept as truth. What do you accept as truth? Well, Mephibosheth was on this page. He had accepted a lie as truth that he was a dead dog. And yet, listen, he was a prince. Why are we prone to believe our feelings? You know feelings are fickle. Can you see it? You, know, you can feel excited one minute and feel depressed the next minute. Come on. You can feel angry one moment, and then you can feel horny the next. You have to watch feelings. They're fickle. You can listen to music, and music can incite in us anger, or music can incite in us the blues. How do you know it's so? We have to control, right, feelings. We're not ruled by them. We manage them. Our behavior is proportional to what we accept as truth. And lasting change, listen, will only occur when it takes place in the spirit of the mind, when it takes place in how I think. This metamorphosis takes place in my soul. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. It is important how I think. A converted attitude, a converted mind is the key to a transformed life. Let me repeat, a converted attitude, a converted mind, a renewed mind is essential. It is key to a transformed life. So until the attitude changes, until the thinking changes, behavior does not change. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. Are you learning? Yeah. I gave you all a definition last week of learning. I'm not going to repeat it. I should give you a test to see if you can quote it. <laughs> but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now listen, that you put off concerning your former conduct. Everybody say put it off. Now listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. He is empowering us so that we do this. He says, now you put off concerning your former conduct, what we used to do, the way we used to think, where we used to go. Listen, what we used to do, you put that off, your former conduct. That's the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. Verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of of your mind and nobody can do it for you and the most dangerous place in this room today is inside your mind right now I don't really know what you're thinking until I see you perform the act until you say that word or until you clap back or until you have an attitude y'all can smile <laughs> and be renewed in the spirit of your mind in the attitude of your mind that you put on the new man 
How do I do that? I put on the word of God. I put on God's perspective, God's thinking. What does God say about me? I put it on. I submit to the authority of God's word. That's how I put on this, this new creature, this new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The most severe scars are not external. They are internal. It's what's going on on the inside. And so we find ourselves many times attacking people. You're my issue or he's my issue, but not so. If there is no enemy within, there is no enemy without great enough to take me down, destroy me, or to detour me. You see, the enemy that you and I battle with is the enemy within. It's what's going on on the inside of me, and my scars are not what people see externally. It's what, what's going on on the inside. That's what hinders or detours strong, healthy relationships. It's the enemy in me. It's me. We don't want to own that because it's easier to blame somebody else for why I'm in the state that I'm in. I'm not denying the impact of the past. I'm not denying the impact of pain. I'm simply stating that to be free, we must refuse to be tormented by the influence of the past. We must be willing to stand up and say enough is enough. You see, you have to get tired of your own stinking self. Sick and tired of you. We're masters at saying, you know, I'm sick and tired of him. I'm sick and tired of her. No, you have to become sick and tired of you. It's a bad thing to be in a place wherein you're accusing everybody else of stinking and you find out that it was really you. <laughs> oh, my. I recognize, listen, saints, church surely is a hospital. And apparently it is filled, listen, filled with sick people. Do not ever forget it. Just because we are in church, the name on the building says church. The worship speaks to church, right? The ministry of the word. But inside the church, we find a hospital filled with sick people. It's not a physical sickness and disease. It's an internal issue. It's the scars of the soul. And at some point, this is the deal, when do we transition from being in the emergency room and intensive care, a regular room, to where we're discharged from the hospital? At what point? When do we make that transition? It is a matter of the will. Sure, sick people, wounded people, scarred people, but God is great enough to bring us to a place of healing. Our point of emphasis, refusal to address our scars soon reveals a life shaped by those scars. A refusal to address it. Let somebody help us. We'll find that we're shaped by those scars. Why do we bear scars that won't heal? Dominant reason is sin. It's missing the mark. It is rebellion against God. Even though the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God sent not his son, pay attention, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through the Lord Jesus Christ might be saved. But men love darkness more than they loved light. And then the scripture says, because their deeds were evil. That's John 3. 16, all the way through 17. You'll read it, I'm sure, to make sure I'm not a false prophet, right? Sin. Why do we bear scars that won't heal? Personal choices. Jesus says, now I've set before you death and life, blessing and cursing. Wait a minute. Choose life. 
Because the choices that you make will affect other people, particularly your offspring. So choose life so that you and your seed may live. It is our personal choices. Why do we bear scars that will heal the choices of others? And Jesus says, be not deceived. Evil association will corrupt good character. So I didn't do it, but somebody else did it. Now, because I'm in association with them, communion with them, it affected me. The one thing Satan comes to steal more than any other aspect of life, listen, he wants to steal our identity. He wants us to have a dead dog mentality. Who we really are from God's perspective, the devil wants to steal that. Who I really am from God's perspective, where did I come from and, and, and why am I here? And what is it that God wants me to do? You see, you do matter to God. He does have a good plan for your life and he has chosen you before the foundation of the world. And the devil wants to steal that reality. We're caught up in this tsunami of wicked behavior because we are void of our true identity. And every lie we embrace shapes how we think, how we feel, and ultimately how we behave. So we live in this tsunami of lies. I do not deserve happiness. I don't deserve to be loved. I don't deserve God's blessings. I've messed up, so I'm disqualified. Are you serious? Oh, this is this, this lie. I am not good as. And if I could submit to us, there are no good people on planet Earth. Now, so the scripture says, there's not a just man that walketh planet Earth that doeth good and sinneth not. God says, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. There are no good people. Let me tell you what the deal is. God is good. And because of his grace, he has accepted us into his family. We don't have good people. We have fallen people, wicked people. We have sinners. Yeah. Yeah. And thank God that we are saved by grace through faith. But we don't have no good people on this earth. So none of us can pass ourselves off as better than the other. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're all in the same pot. Because there are no big liars and little liars. No big hookers and little hookers, right? There's no big sin and no little sin. And the homosexual is not worse than the adulterer or the fornicator because God says all unrighteousness is sin. God hates sin. He loves people, but he hates sin. So nobody, none of us from the pulpit to the pew can pass ourselves off as being better than another. It is the love of God. It is the grace of God that, that God looked at us and saw something redemptive about us and gave his son for us. Y'all go ahead and say, there ain't no good people. Come on, ain't no good people. No good. Yeah, that's, see, the ones who think they're good, they ain't say nothing. See, they ain't say nothing. <laughs> but you know you. Let me push it. You know who you are behind closed doors. You know who you are in the secret place of your mind. You know exactly who you are. And it attests to this reality. We don't have good people down here. We have a good God who looked upon all of us and said, listen, that he wanted us back. And I know what it takes to get them back. It's going to take blood. Jesus Christ poured out his blood for us. Thoughts like, I'm so stupid. I'm being punished by God. That's why I'm going through. Could it be that you're just going through what you're going through because of your choices? Not that God is punishing you. 
And the devil, listen, he's smarter than we are. He understands this. Listen, it's not the punishment of God. I can just leave them to their choices. You see, they keep on making the same old choices, which will yield the same old consequences. So I don't even have to bother them. I don't have to send a baby demon. You just keep on making the same choices. And if we're real about it, you know it's so. It's our choices. It ain't the punishment of God. Listen, the consequences are built into the choice. I don't matter. I'm always overlooked, devalued, never appreciated. I regret marrying, spending, getting pregnant, not listening. I regret. And how long are you going to live on Regret Boulevard? It's a choice. I can never share my story. That's shame. Now, I want you to understand this, that your mess up really is your ministry. You see, whatever, whatever you went through and you lived through it, God brought you out of it. Listen, that's a story that should be told. Why? Because my testimony is only a tested story. I've been there, done that. It's a tested story. I've been through something and I qualify to tell you, you don't have to do the same thing. You don't have to make the same mistake. And it's like many of us parents, we have taught our children, experience is not the best teacher. That's a lie. Wisdom is the best teacher. But you can learn by experience if you reject wisdom. What we prefer is wisdom. Sharing my story. I'm shamed. I'm shame of a choice that I made. I'm, I'm shame of something that I did. And listen, all of us, if we're, if we're honest, we did something that we're ashamed of. But we're, we're not going to get into a place where, listen, the best way to free yourself is to share it, to tell it. Well, you got to be crazy. I ain't going to tell nobody what I did. <laughs> if they knew they would not like me, accept me, approve of me, is it possible that they would have respect for you? Because you stood tall and you told the truth and you didn't live a lie. What excuse do we offer up as to why we remain dysfunctional in life, dysfunctional in relationships, dysfunctional in the marketplace? You see, we build relationships with scarred people. We should want healing for ourselves and healing for others. One's identity is never rooted and grounded in one's life experiences. That's what I did, but that's not who I am. That's what they did to me. But that's not who I am. So whatever the situation, listen, we have to free ourselves. God says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I don't live under the burden of guilt and shame and condemnation because God says there's none. Why? Because he covered me in the blood of his son, Jesus the Christ. When the devil afflicts us, his primary purpose is in assaulting us so that he makes God look bad, not us. You see, you really, you think it's, you know, the devil really is just after you. No, you see, his beef is with God. You have to remember, he was the anointed cherub, Lucifer, who was in heaven, and he got to a place, the Bible says, where in iniquity was found in him, and he decides, really, he wants to overthrow God, so I'm not satisfied with the beauty you put in me, the radiance you put in me, the splendor you put in me. I want to overthrow you. I want to rule. And so he got a third of the angels to conspire with him since he's going to come up against God, and God kicks them all out. You understand this? So now he says, okay, I recognize I'm no, I'm no match for God. I can't overthrow God, but I tell you one thing I can do. I can beat up on his image. 
And who bears the image of God? God says, remember last week, he created us in his image and after his likeness. So we're image bearers in that. I bear the image of God in the earth. So Satan's of the mind, I can't overthrow God, but I'm going to kick, listen, I'm going to kick the stuffing out of your image. Why? Because they follow the path of least resistance. They're tripped up by their choices. They don't study their enemy and they're not submitted to the word of truth. So the Imago Dei, I'm going after the Imago Dei, the image of God in the earth. Those who are created to operate like God, those who possess his moral and his spiritual character. So I'm going after that sister, I'm going after that brother, and I know what their weaknesses are. I've been watching, I've been studying. See, you think folks studying you, ain't nobody studying you, the devil has studied you. And you see how she's looking, she ain't even looking at you, she got her own issues. Believe me, listen, she's not looking at you, she's got her own issues. You see how he's looking at me, he ain't looking at you, he's got his own issues. The devil comes after the image of God, the Imago Dei. And so he is called, let's go to Revelation 12, he is called the accuser of the brethren. So he's looking for us to mess up. Everybody says, I will not be an instrument in the hand of Satan to carry out his sick agenda. Come on, let's say it again. I will not be an instrument in the hand of Satan to carry out his sick agenda. You see, he really wants your daddy. But to get to your daddy, he has to get to you. You want to see a parent fired up? Mess with their child. Janine and I are here to represent it. Don't mess with our children. Don't mess with my grandbabies. Why y'all looking like that? We, we have this, this anointing to lay hands on folk. <laughs> you mess with our children. Don't mess with Tanisha. Don't mess with Jerry Jr. Don't mess with TC. Don't mess with Jay and Melody and Eden. Don't you dare mess with Josiah. We got a special gift. Revelation 12, 9 through 10. English Standard Version. And the great dragon, who is that? That's Satan, that's the devil. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, these are demons. His angels are, are demons now. Notice, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them, pay attention, accuses them day and night before our God. So the devil says, look, oh, I got her. Now, I, listen, I demand a right to have access to her because look at what she just did. Oh, I demand a right to have access to him because of what he just did. He is the accuser of the brethren. So why would we get an agreement with the devil and accuse ourselves? Refuse to forgive ourselves. Refuse to trust the mercy of God. This all prevents, prevents healing. So what is an accuser? Look at the screen. Accuser, as noted in Revelation 12, 9 through 10. Comes from the Greek word diabolos. And refers to one who speaks out false accusations so as to oppress the one who accepts the accusation as true. So the devil wants you and he wants me to accept his accusation against us as true. I'm no good, I don't matter, God can't use me, I messed up, look at what I did, right? I'm not important, I'm disqualified. Can you see it? 
He wants us to accept the accusation. So when we accept the devil's lies about us, we agree with Satan that his word is more powerful and more influential in our lives than the word of God, our creator. When we accept the devil's lies, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I'll never amount to anything, I messed up, it's too late for me, I'm disqualified, surely God can't use me. Look at what I did, look at how many abortions I, I had, look at how many times I've slept around, look at how much dope I sold, look at how much I stole, look at what I did, so God cannot use me. And I want to say to us that even in light of all of that, he has still made choice of you, still made choice of me. The devil wants us to receive the lie. So Satan attacks us, and he tempts us to reject God and to blame God and to rebel against God, to misrepresent God. Thereby, we sabotage our ability to be useful to God. Here he comes. He wants to use any situation, any relationship, any experience, any circumstance, listen, people, to torment us, to paralyze us, to discredit us, to rob us of hope, to tempt us to adopt an identity that opposes God. God did not change his mind. So Satan's first appeal to Eve, what did he do? He wanted to challenge her God-given identity. Genesis 3, 4 through 5. But the serpent said to the woman, wait a minute, you will not surely die. Anybody read at least up to Genesis? <laughs> well, wait, is that a book in the Bible or is that the name of a person? Come on now, we're going to read the book. Because we're the family of God, we're the people of God. And if you want to know, God has a consistent, unchanging nature. How do I become familiar with his consistent, unchanging nature? I have to get in the book. So he says, now, the devil's lying to the woman. But, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, wasn't she already like God? Can you see it? God had given the command, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that tree. In the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. And listen, this is the deal. She disobeyed God because she received the devil's lie. She was deceived. But Adam was not deceived because he was standing right there with her. He was naked right there with her. <laughs> Y'all missed that part. Naked right there with her. They were naked and unashamed. They were vulnerable. They were transparent because they were covered in the glory of God, saturated in the presence of God. So the devil comes in and says, I got to strip them of all that glory. Bring them into the awareness of sin. Make her doubt her God-given identity. And as sure as I get her to doubt it, then she's going to share it with her husband. You see, we're not satisfied when we sin and miss the mark alone. We got to always give it to somebody else. So what does she do? She gives it to her husband, and the Bible says he was right there with her. And some of y'all thought, oh, he's just running around in the garden naked. No, he was standing right there with her. And he started eating with her. And the Bible says when Adam ate, he transgressed. In other words, you willfully went against the instructions of God. What was he challenging? Their God-given identity. Now, understand, Keith's David, you and I will always function and, be and behave at the level of, by which we see ourselves. You and I will all function and behave at the level by which you and I see ourselves. So behavior is always proportional to identity. See, I behave a certain way because I know who I am. Come on now. So there's some places that are off limits to me because I know who I am. There's a language that's off limits to me because I know who I am. 
There's an attitude that's off limits to me because I know who I am. And there's some relationships off limits to me because I know who I am. You see, sets the boundaries for us when I know who I am. There are some things that I'm not going to do. So, no, I don't drink that. I don't smoke that. I don't do that. I don't say that. I don't wear that. I don't go over there. I know who I am. It's an identity issue. There are boundaries. It's like many of us old school, we raised our children, and there were, there were some children in the community, no, you can't go over there and you can't play with them. Any parents, any, any real parents, when you raise your, no, you can't go over there, right? You cannot spend the night over there. Why? There are boundaries because I know who I am, so identity is essential to behavior. Some things we're not going to do. Here's the deal. To know my creator is to know myself. To know my creator is to know myself, and then I know his expectations of me. That's important to me. I know my creator. So this vertical thing has to be, listen, that has to be settled. If I don't have relationships with nobody else, I got a relationship with him. Right? And it doesn't matter who walks after that, you see. Because he has a way of establishing horizontal relationships once the vertical relationship is intact. Because he knows what's best for me. So we have these scars. Let's just look because I'm, I'm almost done. Signs of abandonment issues. Now, no matter what we're facing, remember we can come out of this. So I've been abandoned. Subdued nature. There's a resistance to being vulnerable. So I can't be vulnerable. I can't be put out there. I can't be transparent. And you'll never have a healthy relationship. Not as a friendship and not in a marriage. Because in marriage and relationships, we must be found, what's the word? Vulnerable. Adam and Eve, naked and unashamed. They were transparent. They were vulnerable. Relationships require that you and I are vulnerable. But when I'm scarred, I refuse to be vulnerable. Why is that the case? Because I got trust issues. Right? Why is, what's going on with me? I appear callous and insensitive. I lack empathy for others. Hard-hearted. It's like saying, does anything bring a tear out of your eye? Hard-hearted. Callous. I'm temperamental, sensitive, easily offended. You've met folk like this? Easily offended. It's kind of like you have to walk eggshells around these kind of people. They've been abandoned. They've been dropped. They've, they've been crippled. Listen, and they have this dead dog mentality. Why? Because somebody left me. Can I say to us that all throughout life, somebody's going to leave you? Whether it's a walk out of a relationship situation or there's physical death, people will leave us. And we have to know how to manage that. And we can't lose it. You can't take antidepressants every time somebody walks out. You can't go to... Papados and start drinking the swamp thing. I don't even know if they still make that. Do they still make the swamp thing? <laughs> well, Pastor, you had one of those? Absolutely not. No, we can't just pass out because stuff happens, because life happens. Everybody, listen, people are going to walk out on you, and we have to be okay with it. This is the deal. Let them walk, because you don't know what God just delivered you from. All right, now, we are prone to circumstantial depression. We kind of talked about what that means. Negative thinking. 
Come on, overanalyzing, just everything is negative. Gosh, do you ever think anything that is healthy, that is conducive to growth and development, that glorifies God, is it always negative stuff, defeated thinking, failure type of thinking? That's not the thinking of Christ. The phobias, void of identity, dignity, and self-worth. So here's some hindrances to healing. A lack of knowledge concerning one's true identity. I must know who I am from God's perspective. This is keeping us from being healed, people. I must know who I am from God's perspective, and I can't go on the culture. Come on now. And you can't go on what's happening in Hollywood. Ooh, we I could get in trouble. Start naming some of these personalities that we emulate, that we gravitate towards. I'm not going to do it because I don't, I don't want to get in trouble. So y'all know what's out there. Listen, you don't try to imitate that or emulate that. The reason people do it is because they lack their own identity. Now, y'all excuse me, I have to say this to lady, listen, when you know who you are, right, and you're confident in the woman that God created you to be, you're not jealous of nobody, you don't gossip about nobody, you don't tear anybody down, and you're not trying to look like her, dress like her, walk like her, talk like her. Listen. You're, you're confident in the person that God created you to be. And I will boast in this because there's not a female on planet Earth that I desire to look like, be like, talk like. Listen, I am confident and very pleased with the woman God created me to be. And it will squash, it will stop the jealousy and the envy and the strife. When I know who I am and I feel good about me, I don't have time to be jealous of nobody else. Yes, yeah, she cute. We all cute. Yeah, she fine. We all fine. <laughs> but but she, her lashes are longer than yours. That's all right. I work with what I got. <laughs> her hair's longer. I work with what I got. Wait, that, that, that's a good time for me to do this. I can pop my neck on that one. Listen, good about who God created you to be. And any time you find a woman tearing down another woman, she doesn't know who she is. She doesn't feel good about who God created her to be. She hasn't developed that confidence. And you can help her out and say, sister, you don't have to do that. You're a fine sister. Tell her how cute she is. How, listen, you have to go ahead and build her up. I ain't doing that. Well, then you got the issue. <laughs> Compliment her. Brothers, uh, you know, brothers don't usually run around complimenting each other. Now, if you got a brother that's really all over another brother, we got another problem there. <laughs> oh! What is that in the Bible? It's called sodomy. Jonathan and David were not homosexuals. They were friends. Don't let nobody lie to you. They're friends. And a male can have a, a, a close friend, male friend. But he ain't all over him. <laughs> I think all the men in the house ought to, I mean, belt out loud, amen. That's it. Okay, brothers, y'all better not be weak about it now. Okay. Hindrances to healing. A lack of knowledge concerning one's true identity. I need to know who I am from God's perspective. Denial. Don't be in a place of denial. That ain't it. That's not the problem. No, if there's a problem. You see, people who do not own the problem won't change. But I've got to acknowledge there's a problem. Then there's a refusal to unlearn thought patterns that keep us crippled. I have to be willing to unlearn those thought patterns that crippled me. 
Then there's a need, listen, hindrances to healing, a need for the approval of others. If they never approve of you, you're okay. And listen, you want to be very guarded against trying to build an inner circle off of the approval of other people. That's not what you need, right? Continuous disobedience to the known will of God. We have to watch that. I'm going to have to speed it up. So you guys just, y'all just take a little shot. Repeating or remaining in dead in relationships. You know that relationship is killing you. You know it. And so why do you stay in that relationship? Scars. Dwelling on the past. You meet those people, that's all they talk about is what happened to them. Well, how long are you going to talk about that? Because I'm, I'm about tired of hearing the story. Anybody? I mean, over and over and over and over. And I don't know if I, I, I said this to this audience, but God spoke this to us years ago, that anybody who continues to rehearse the mishaps of the past will die in the rehearsal. At some point, you stop rehearsing it. It happened, and it's over. I learned from it. Listen, and I'm the better. I'm stronger because of it. It didn't take me out. A life on replay, that's that repeating. Blaming others, we stopped that. You know, I could name a few people. Listen, we stopped blaming others. Trapped in a victim's mentality, woe is me. Entertaining lies. Nursing feelings of unworthiness. Attempts to explain why. Always trying to justify why I made that choice. You know, this is why I slept with him. You know, this is why I let him move in. This is why I took that drink. This is why I smoked that weed. <laughs> Trying to justify an inability to hear. That's an obstinate refusal to hear when truth comes. A refusal to acknowledge one's conversation. That's my internal dialogue. What am I saying internally to myself about myself? And then, of course, a refusal to assume responsibility for my own healing. Two more, dehydration, that's lacking the cleansing and the continual washing of God's word. God's word will wash us. Yeah. Finally, rejection of correction. All of us need to be corrected at some season in our lives. Let's take the correction. So let's close with these points. God sent his word to heal us. Mephibosheth belonged to the royal line but was made a cripple by fall. We belong to the royal line as children of God, but we were made crippled by Adam's fall. Mephibosheth lived in exile from the king, but was remembered because of a covenant. Hallelujah. We lived in exile, alienated and shut off from the life of God, our king, but we are remembered and redeemed because of God's greater plan. Mephibosheth was called into the king's presence and exalted because of the merits of another. We have been called back into the king's presence, called back into dominion living, called back into fellowship with God as children of God because of the merits of Jesus the Christ. Mephibosheth was given a glorious heritage just as we have been given a glorious heritage through Jesus Christ. Can you see it? Mephibosheth was subject to persecution and slander just as the children of God will forever be subject to persecution and slander. David brought Mephibosheth out of an impoverished environment and placed him at the king's table just as God delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and he has positioned us into the kingdom of his dear son so that we sit at his table forever. So pastor, what do I do? What do I do about all of the scars? I stopped making excuses. No more excuses. I assume ownership. I cancel the audition. That's an entire teaching series. Counsel the audition. You ain't got to put on a show before nobody. 
It's okay for me to share my story when the Spirit of God brings it up. I share my story for the benefit of helping somebody come out of their trauma. Decide to never replay the script. Stop picking at the wound. You've seen where, listen, you get cut, it starts to heal, and you start picking at it, and then it starts bleeding all over again, which does what? It prolongs the healing. So I stop picking at the wound because I decide never to replay the script. Receive God's forgiveness. And listen, saints, forgive yourself. If someone else did it to you, I share with you all my story. Listen, I had a responsibility to forgive those who took the unfair advantage, those who hurt me. I had a responsibility to forgive. Never discount yourself or dismiss your value. You matter to God and you're worth it. How much so? The blood of Jesus Christ proves how valuable you are. Embrace time-tested relationships instead of toxic relationships. Every relationship should be time-tested. Now, we get in a lot of trouble because you jumped in too quick. Trust is something that's earned. Give it a minute. Are you okay? We're going to never blame, we refuse the shame, and we take a seat at the king's table. Can we do it? Come on, let's thank God, everybody. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. You've been extended a divine invitation. God has called us out of Lodabar. He's called us out. He's extended to us an invitation to sit at his table forever. You see, nobody knows like God what has happened in our past. I need you all to remember it, never forget it. Everybody has a past. And in light of that, God has his hand on you, and he has his hand on me. There are people that you all will reach that I would never touch. But because of your witness, because of your stand, because of your commitment to the Christ, you'll be able to touch so many people and listen, it's not so much in what we say, it's how we live. Because the most powerful message you'll ever preach, you'll ever teach, is the one you live. Yeah. People today are looking for authenticity, credibility. Are you the real deal? I share with you all, we don't fake it till we make it. Right? We have... We have a God who has given us the grace to take a stand for him. Maybe you've heard the cliche, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. The convictions that we live by today, based upon the principles of scripture, God wants to use you to reach nations. Will you let him do it? How, pastor? I've got to let go of all of this stuff. What they did, what they said. And I've, I've got to just receive what he did. Right? What did he do? He gave his life for me, for you. Can we receive that today? You all know we have to do it. There are people watching, but we have a different audience in every service. We never have the exact same audience in every service. Somebody doesn't know Christ. Can we help them meet the Savior today? Come on, everybody, let's say it together. Dear God, I was born a sinner in need of a Savior. 
on today, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive every sin, heal every scar, come on, save me, fill me with your spirit, and use me in your kingdom to reach nations. Today, I give you my life, and I receive my God-given identity. I am yours. I am yours, but with blood. And so on today, here I am. Use me. Come on, let's thank God, everybody. That's what God wants. He wants to use us. Not because of, but in spite of. God wants to use us so that nations enter into the family of God. Father, I bless you for these, your precious people. And I bless you for your word on today. Thank you that you're yet Jehovah Rapha. You're the God who heals. Not just physically and spiritually, relationally, God, but you heal internally. You heal us in the area of the soul. God, you're intimately aware of what has transpired in our lives individually and collectively. God, you know whether incest or rape, divorce, betrayal, murder. God, whatever the situation, you see it all. You know it all. And yet, God, you have made choice of us. We trust you, God, to heal. God, I'm believing you to do it. Every woman in this room, God, every child, every man, God, I'm trusting you to touch and to heal. Oh, God, bring us to a place of wholeness as only you can do. We will to be whole. We will to be delivered. We will to be free. God, your hand is not so short that you can't touch. You're all seeing eye in every place. Reach down deep on the inside of us, God, eradicating all of the tentacles, oh God. All the lies, all the deception, so that we're free. And your word says, he who the Son hath made free is free indeed. And God, I speak it into their gut. Let it be so, oh God, that we walk out of this place free. Not rehearsing, oh God, the shame of the past, the pain of the past. But we walk out of this place, God, rehearsing our true identity in you. And may others see Christ in us, the hope of glory, and ask us the reason for our hope. Thank you, Jesus. You are that hope that anchors our soul firm and sure. Thank you, God, as we enter into absolute harmonious agreement with you, the devil, the accuser of the brethren. He has nothing on us and he has nothing in us. We remain the imago Dei, the image of God in the earth. And God will flaunt it. The excellence of the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, you keep us from falling. Present us faultless before the Father's presence with exceeding great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, honor, dominion, and power, now henceforth and forevermore. And the church did say, I'm free. Come on, let's say it. I'm free. free. Come on, I'm not convinced. I'm free. free. One more time, real loud. And believe what the word says, he whom the Son made free. Free indeed. Let's offer up a hand clap of praise.